handed out. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Telling stories from the Mexican community? Match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Today we're going to do a quick on-the-counter episode and just sort of recap the game versus Leon and our trip down to Mexico. Uh, so this week we'll abandon our usual format and this episode will be entitled... La Vida No Vale Nada. La Vida No Vale Nada! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, man, what an amazing experience down there. Obviously, the game didn't go our way. The game was was rough, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think we, you guys uh, who got to experience it by watching it on TV probably saw a little bit more of it than we saw from uh, the stands down there. But the entire experience of going down there, uh, all of the people that we met, everything we did, and, and, and all of the community efforts that were involved in the experience with uh, the Leon fans were Really, yeah, really amazing. We'll definitely jump into this match probably in the later part of this episode, but you know, let's let's actually talk about everything that led up to it, man. Like yeah. I mean, and Jonathan, you were there, so tell us tell us literally every detail because we all had to live vicariously through you. Yeah, paint the audio picture yeah, for us. Man. So we ended up going down Sunday morning, super early in the morning. We basically left Tijuana around midnight. So by the time we got to Guanajuato, it was pretty early in the morning because the airport's sort of over closer to, to Guanajuato, so in between Leon and Guanajuato. Went into town, and then immediately the first day, we went out and did some touristy stuff. We went up to a statue that's just outside of town on one of the, the highest mountains. It's called uh, El Cristo Rey, El Cristo Rey, um, which uh, we have Christ King. And so one of the tallest mountains just outside of the southern part of Leon kind of just north of Guanajuato there because Guanajuato City is sort of just south of, of where Leon is. And there's a mountain in between. And at the very top of the mountain, 50, 60 years ago, they put this giant statue of Christ. And it takes forever to get up there because you have to drive all the way outside of town and exit the freeway on this cobblestone road. And for about an hour, drive super slowly up this cobblestone road all the way up to the top of the mountain. And there's street vendors and it's very touristy. And hundreds and hundreds of people there and you exit the vehicle and you have to walk the last of the way up and there's a church there underneath the statue and so this was Sunday morning so there was a mass going on while we were there lots of people sort of partaking in those religious experience activities and then a couple of us there uh, we actually met Scarf there and so we just happened to show up at the same time as Scarf and Nina were there um, along with uh, Tomas, who I went with from D9, whose family we stayed with while we were down there, and they drove us around. So we went there and we saw El Cristo Rey. Which Did is you go to Mass? Absolutely beautiful view. No, we showed up right as it was kind of ending. So we Would didn't. you have gone to Mass if you would have gone there on time? Uh, you know, I don't know if I, uh, <laughs> I stepped inside, my clothes might light on fire or something. Uh, I, don't I, know, I saw so. a great picture of Fern though. I forget who posted it. It might have been the FCFC guys, but yeah. I saw a great picture of Fern together. in one of the in one of the churches. Um, I'm sure it would have been. Yeah. No, all, the, the Instagram, like the, the LFC Instagram community. There was, was so much good stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Like right before we started recording, we were just talking about Sean from Tigers and his uh, rendition of La Chona. Yeah. No. <laughs> so much fun. It was so good. I, I've tried to scroll through and like everything that I saw, and I, I can't make it. I can't make it through. I can't. It all. I cannot remember a weekend where there has been so much good content on social media. It was. It was great. There. I mean, it came from everywhere. Right. At the club, 
definitely the supporters. It was it was a lot of fun to just watch. You know, I mean, you guys took pictures of everything and anything, food, sights. You know, funny moments. And was... everywhere you go in town, you're running into LAFC people. Um, every single place I went to, you turn around and there's somebody wearing an LAFC hat, an LAFC shirt, or someone that you recognized from the LAFC community. So many people, I think, were avoiding trying to wear LAFC gear because that is what had been advised. We were certainly warned to be cautious while we were there. The experience I had from day one, moment one, when the airplane landed, was the complete opposite of that. Uh, los fanáticos de los Esmeraldas, as they call themselves, um, were super, super friendly. Esmeraldas. Esmeraldas, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't speak Spanish. No, that's all good. <laughs> um, every single place we went. Every single place we went. Yeah, no, I, you know, that, that, that town was super emerald green at that the entire time. I think they were trying to show out, too. You know, be hospitable, good host, but at the same time, it's like, hey, we care about our team. Well, you, and you could see the mutual respect that was either earned or at least appreciated at the end of the match when you see the Lyon fans that are standing up and applauding for the 3252 uh, and the LAFC fans that had shown up. Or you also saw the video of right. uh, people doing the exchange through the fence of jerseys or scarves or whatever right? right it was just it was it was so much of a, a beautiful mutual respecting that uh, again just another part of soccer and and just the soccer community that i don't think you would ever be able to have that experience on a different sport anywhere else in the world yeah. did you kind of feel a sense leading up to the match like after you went to um cristo rey the other touristy areas that the, the the locals of Guanajuato and León were kind of uh, giving you a sense like, hey, you guys are here, but you know we want to show you a good time. Or did you feel like, hey, you guys are uh, in enemy, enemy territory. We want to make sure you guys don't feel necessarily as comfortable leading up to the match. LAFC fans were there to party. That was fairly clear from day one, moment one. Everyone was partying. And there's something about what I experienced in the culture of the people of Leon that when they see someone else partying, they want to party too. Nice. And so it kind of became a mutual party. Now, there were a lot of you're going to party over there and we're going to party over here, but we're going to tolerate you and we're accepting of you, welcoming of you. Thank you for coming down. We appreciate the support. But we're not going to stand there with you the entire night. But they would come over and say hello and thank us for being there and we're just excited to see what would happen. Um, did did many of the people speak English enough to, for you to have a conversation with them? Most people did not speak yeah. English. Yeah. Fortunately, I had a translator with me the whole time, or I would have been in a very different situation. <laughs> I think a lot of the good vibes started with what took place the next day we were there, sure. Monday, with the event at the orphanage, mm -hmm. uh, Casa Hogar San Antonio. That really got a lot of local media coverage, uh, second page in the newspaper the next day. There was a lot of talk about it within every uh, Leon fan you would meet was saying, you know, thank you for this or mentioned it at some point in time in a conversation. So, you know, hats off to every single person that helped donate, every single person that showed up and participated in that event. It was a killer event. We had a big meeting. They brought all the kids in, the heads of the school were there, the orphanage, uh, some representation from LAFC, and then some representation from Global Diplomatic. 
and they presented the children with all the things that had been donated and then in the midst of that ceremony then surprised the children with the 60 tickets to the match the next game for right. them oh, and their chaperones. That's cool. I didn't realize that the that was cool. So the yeah. look on their faces when they realized that many of these kids love soccer, love Leon and have never had a chance to go to a game. For most of these kids it was their very first game that they ever got to go to at the stadium that is half a mile maybe from where the orphanage exists. Um, I mean, it's right there in downtown. So that was a really amazing moment just to see the look on their face. We presented all the children who had had a birthday recently with a special shirt from Global Diplomatic. Uh, then we did some chants with them. Um, we took them outside. They did pinatas, and we got to play soccer with them as well, too. Yeah. And my goodness, those kids are good. Uh, they are really good. <laughs> yeah. And they ended up doing a, a five-a-side between a bunch of the LAFC members that were there and these kids. And uh, we posted some videos of it. You can go check it Sorry, out on yeah. our Instagram. Um, really a, an, an amazing experience to see uh, how joyful they were, how appreciative they were for all the efforts put together by the community. And, you know, that, I think, set the tone. And I think Leon really respected that that took place. And that definitely changed the attitude of the fans after word got out about that. And and so you said, though, that media was there. Like, was that something that just was natural, that just happened? Or did somebody, how did how did the media find out that the you guys were going to be there at the orphanage and stuff like that? I'm assuming Global Diplomatic probably let them know. Hmm. But I don't know for sure. A lot of the photos that we saw end up make it in the media rounds the next day. It looked like photos that LAFC supporters had taken. That's, uh, yeah. that's what I thought. Cause LAFC was... Central was there doing videos of the yeah. whole thing as well, yeah. too. Um, really, really quite uh, an overwhelming experience getting to hear some of these stories from these children, which were I mean, graphic, tragic mm -hmm. stories. Um, really intense, intense, you know, sort of conversations with them around this whole thing, but... In the end, very powerful, very powerful stuff to be able to help them out. Oh, that's awesome, and I know we the the pod contributed and donated some things, so glad yeah. it went well and it was you know covered or even if it wasn't covered by the press, it's just you know something that we support the LAFC community where we when we can uh, to make sure that if there's something positive that can be done in the community that we're visiting, especially on these international matches. We'll be able to do that if possible. Yeah, and shout out to Empire Boys who felt so moved by the experience. A couple days later after the game, they put together a number of things and went and donated to the orphanage as well, too. So it moved members of the LAFC community as well, too. And that was just very powerful. To be a force for good wherever we go was a wonderful thing to see. So I think from that moment forward, there was an attitude shift amongst all the Leon fans that I ran into. And they were very appreciative, very thankful. And I think you could start to see at that point exactly how many LAFC fans were in town by Monday night. Every bar, every restaurant, every tourist spot you would go to, and there was black and gold everywhere. Uh, I saw some videos, too, of people that were staying in a hotel right next door to the stadium. And they like they saw the um, police escort, and they were able to like shoot down in uh, for the uh, LAFC that was practicing in the stadium so was was there any opportunity for you guys to you know did you know anybody staying in any of those hotels that you were able to maybe watch or or did you see the police escort or anything like that is anything associated with the team the police escort was a big deal a lot of people went out and watched it the 
official hotel of the stadium is right there next to the stadium, and a lot of people uh, from 3252 chose to stay there, and you could see the pitch. There was a lot of people talking about watching the practices and what had went down there. We did not attend the practice. Most of us were out in town having a good time sure. then, whether it was eating tacos, doing whatever we could do, having some beers. How good was the food, bro? The food was absolutely sensational. Absolutely okay. sensational. I don't believe there's any food left in Leon. I'm pretty sure I <laughs> ate it all. Uh, all drinks, my clothes, dude? all my clothes shrank when I got back. Oh. So I'm gonna have to figure out how that happened. Uh, the um, drinks, man. Did you get any? You know, good tequila, mezcal. Did you? Tequila was big there. Mezcal, not so much. Yeah, pretty much every Oaxaca. place you yeah. went, oh, okay. there was tequila. Almost all the same brands that you see here. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff down there that. Wow. Obviously, being in the industry, I, I know most of these brands anyway. So the same brands you would find at any Mexican restaurant special. here. It was all – now, down there, they do specialize in a lot of local liqueurs that you didn't see here. So rampopes and things like that and oh, local really? liqueurs cool. made from, you know, different fruits and things like that were very popular in the local community. Uh, especially down in Guanajuato, just south of Leon, there's a big liqueur community where they make liqueurs from all kinds of different local fruits. Uh, and rompopes, different flavored rompopes was, was big. Really? I didn't know that. So, I mean, if you got a dessert, they would offer you like a shot of rompope to go with it or it would be poured on top or it would be infused into the local ice cream. We had rompope flavored ice cream while we were down there. Mm, so, cool. so that was, I mean, probably the only thing on a booze standpoint that was different than you would normally see. But I think we drank out half the bars in town of every Mexican beer they had. <laughs> Not only was there like this um, – uh, I guess philanthropic or you know charity event going on. We also injected directly into the veins of that economy, because like you said, the restaurants and several bars went dry. I think they had to go and buy, you know, uh, a restock for the next day. And I don't think they were prepared to have as many people from LAFC show up and consume as much as we did. It was <laughs> so Ultras had a house party. They rented a mansion just outside of town. Three swimming pools, basketball court, pool table, multiple foosball tables, guest house, waterfall, opulent place. Um, and we literally filled the entire back of a van full of beer while we were at the local super, supermercado. Mm -hmm. And everyone was sort of like taking pictures of us as we were loading up shopping carts and shopping carts full of beer. Of course, we're all wearing supporters gear, so security is kind of watching us and hanging around with us. And at first, security was like, what do we need to do? Do we need to stop these people? And then we started talking to them, and eventually, you know, we were you know, high-fiving security as we were leaving because we bought them out of every bit of Modelo that was in the place and bottles of Buchanan's. <laughs> <and> <laughs> That's great. Entire shopping carts full of food. And it was so, I mean, and I know so many different people out there that were throwing giant house parties. Cuervos had a huge yep. party. So it was parties at every bar, every restaurant, every hotel, every Airbnb was going off. That's great. And uh, so, so that was now Monday. It's so now Tuesday, game day. So talk us through the tailgate or what like just the experience right leading up to the game so i think everybody had a late morning game day everybody had partied pretty hard the night before and nobody wanted to get out in the 100 degree heat because it hit 100 that day oh, midday wow. it was hot um the elevation you could definitely feel it yeah that's one of my, one of my questions it was whenever you did something physical just breathing feels different even just going up a flight of stairs breathing felt different 
So what's the elevation there? In it's Leon? higher than six thousand feet. Denver. Yeah, just a oh, hair wow. under six thousand feet. So that's over a mile high. I mean, that's that up also there. could that also could then. I didn't. I knew that there was a higher elevation, and that yeah. they had talked about the elevation. I didn't realize it was that high. And if, I mean, of course, then you look take that into consideration in terms of our play on the pitch. But. Yeah. So I took advantage of the lazy morning game day, and to avoid the heat, we took a day trip down to Guanajuato. So we loaded up in the car, drove down to Guanajuato, which is about an hour's drive south of Leon to get to the city of Guanajuato. Pretty much everybody looking at social media took the trip down there. In fact, the second we got out of the van, we heard this, LAFC. And I turn around and uh, there's Tom Penn greeting us when we got out. <laughs> so we're like, oh. Uh, and Thorrington was there with him as well, too. So we took a, a quick photo up there with Penn and Thorrington, which away it is of the best days. What can you say? Did uh, you talk much to him, or did you guys just took the photo and jammed? In retrospect, I wish I had talked to them more, but I was so – because they surprised <laughs> us, right? It's not like I saw him and I got to go up and I had that moment to think about what I'm going to say. You just heard LAFC, and I turned around. And it was like, there's Tom Penn and Thorrington. Like, like whoa. They're like, hi, Tom. Hi, John. Thank you. I just thanked them for did the experience hi, for the club. Like they like, they introduced first? themselves. So, I mean – Obviously, oh, we know who they I are. Thought, I thought they were calling you, John. I was like, oh, man, I didn't know you were on first-name basis with They Tom. have no clue who I am. They have no clue who I am. Um, we gotta did you tell that. him? <laughs> we got to change that. Yeah, did you tell him? No. <laughs> In the moment, I, I mean, the only thing I could think of to say was thank you. Um, thank them for helping create the team and the experience and, yeah. and the opportunity to be down there. They thanked us for coming down, and, and that was pretty quick. We took a photo. Did you and they know took that off. Christian and Tom are on a first name basis? Well, of course, everybody knows Christian. Well, dude, like this, like I was walking with him one day, and we saw Tom, and he goes, "Oh, hey, Christian, how's it going?" And I was, I was like, "How, how is this?" And he goes, "Oh, it's the glasses." He's like, "It's one hundred percent. It's the glasses." Oh, that's that. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. That, that happens a lot, where people don't necessarily know my name. I was surprised you knew my name, but people genuinely remember me and i really think that's my theory that it's the glasses because i'll go to restaurants i frequent and i'm like i know you see a lot of people this is a like popular restaurant or i'll go to you know when i meet someone the first time and they see me another second or third time they remember me because of my glasses and i'm sure i'm like i'm not that tall so i was like it's a short guy <laughs> with the glasses i remember him yeah yeah well, i wear a mask during the game so I mean, if I had the mask with me, maybe they would have put two and two together. But people don't really see my face much yeah. during a game. I'm just giving you a hard time. And then yeah. every single circle I run in in LAFC, they, I have a different name, it seems, everywhere I go. So the, from a branding standpoint, I'm not doing a very good job of connecting the dots there as well, too. Not that I care at all. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, we went and did some of the touristy stuff there in Guanajuato, went down to the city center, went in Salos Momias. Um, the big thing with going to see mummies there, they have all these mummified corpses that are there and everyone goes and sees them uh went and visited like a candy factory a liqueur factory and some of this other touristy stuff and just kind of walked around and then head back to the massive meetup so we showed up at the meetup maybe three four hours before the game which was crazy that the game was at nine o'clock at night local time yeah that's normal that's when they have games there because of the heat Right. I mean, this is the middle of winter and yeah. it's 100 degrees middle of the day. So you can only imagine during the rest of the year how hot it gets. So think, 9 p.m. is just their normal start time. Yeah. I think part of it, too, their workday ends later. Yeah. Too. Their workday ends at 7. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, because they have siestas, right? Midday siestas? I don't know if they do in all of Mexico, but I just think they start later in the day mm. in general. I think like 9, 10 a.m. start time is more of a regular start time out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. The amount of people 
just this sea of black and gold, every single supporters group. And it wasn't just the usual suspects with supporters groups that rolled deep to this event. I mean, even some of the supporters groups that have only been around for a year or so and the supporters groups that have been around for three plus years, everyone was there in numbers. There was a massive amount of unity between everyone there. Supporters groups that don't typically sit within the North End, you know, so like Pride Republic had a huge contingency of people there and were going crazy the whole time. Massive amounts of people from 42 Originals that showed up, Empire Boys, not to mention all the usual suspects that were there and you know, the Tigers and the D9s and the Cuervos and the Luckies and the Empire Boys and you name it. LAO. Definitely a huge contingency from LAO as well too and I'm sure I'm forgetting a few others as well too and my apologies to them but it was insane how many people were there and how many people showed up in massive numbers, drank out the whole bar. The bar is running to the store to try and fill the fridges with beer and were emptying out the fridges the second they could fill it. Supporters themselves just ended up going to the store and buying a bunch of beer and, and everyone was just sort of sitting there having a good time. It was like a giant backyard party with the entire 3252. If you could imagine if the entire tailgate at Christmas Tree Lane was sort of folded in on itself and no one had a tent, no one had a canopy to congregate with and everyone just hung out in a parking lot together. That was basically what happened. It was at Vancouver Wings, which is a funny name. Yeah, there was a, a very American sort of wing shop that overlooked the area. <laughs> the whole uh, place had kind of an American vibe to it. So a lot of people were up in the restaurant and, and a lot of people just hanging out down in the street. It was basically just walking around and, and getting your arm and your shoulder tired from, from giving so many bro hugs to people and saying hello as you were walking around. The chanting started. And then finally it, it got dark and our police escort arrived and we got ready to do the march. Now the place in which we were doing this pregame was about a four-minute walk, maybe a block and a half from the stadium. So we're thinking, great, going to be a super quick march into the match. We'll get in there. We'll get ready to go. Our police escort arrives. We start marching. Spanish media was there. The entire thing was broadcast on television, the entire march to the match. They took us winding through back alleys and neighborhood streets in this incredible roundabout way to get to the stadium that took well over an hour. Four-minute walk <laughs> what? if we'd have gone straight to the stadium. But they marched us through the streets of Leon for over an hour. I think it was about an hour and 15 minutes until we arrived at the stadium to the point where everyone just quit chanting because we didn't want to wear ourselves out and got a little suspicious of what was going on as to whether or not this was intentional to try and wear us out. That's crazy. But if you could imagine a thousand members of the 3252 marching through the streets and singing for the first 45 minutes or so, people are opening their windows and sticking their heads out. People are locking doors and getting scared and running away from us. I mean, that was that was almost like, that reminds me of on a smaller scale when I was in Minnesota. Uh, and the, the, the 3252, they walked from the brewery to the to the train, and then we took the, the train all the way in. But you would see people like coming out on their balconies and stuff. And it was, I mean, there might have only been like a hundred of us, you know, but still like on a thousand, I, I, you guys had to have been making such a big ruckus. It definitely got a lot of attention. People were coming out and high-fiving us. People were recording it from their balconies. Restaurants were 
scrambling to cl- close windows and doors because we were disturbing people's dinners. But then everyone would come to the window and was staring at us anyway. Even our police escort was filming us the whole time we were going down. <laughs> so the mounted police are sitting there with their cell phones out recording us as we were going by. Um, when we got to the stadium, they kind of marched us through an area of Leon fans. So that got a little awkward because we didn't exactly know how they were going to receive us. So we were all sort of huddled together at that point. We arrive at the stadium to about 20 mounted police and probably 40 or 50 riot squad armored police officers that lined up an entire walkway leading to our gate. And we started filing in through the searches and into the area of the stadium that's that's fenced off, you know, affectionately referred to as the cage for the supporters. Now, is that common, Christian? Yeah. Like in Liga Mekis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like normal games, they'll have the riot squad. I mean, they corral their own supporters sometimes in some stadiums. So mm-hmm. it's it's just something you do in like Mexico, Central America, South America. It's It's very typical. And there is no... This whole, like, I, I would say, like, England, maybe Spain and the U.S., where you don't really have barriers between the fans and the pitch, is uncommon. If you watch Italian games, you watch, like, even the Yellow Wall in Germany or some of the German stadiums, like, there's there's walls and barriers to separate just because of how rowdy it can get and just the passion some people go overboard. Like, some of the scenes you... I'll remember growing up is like watching Argentinian football and like people literally putting their jerseys down and straddling the barbed wire and then like being on top of that wall. Like it's it's just these crazy things. So it's very common. And so then I, I wonder then too, like how the, I remember uh, at one point in the game, Brian Rodriguez came and did a corner kick and there was the riot squad. Yeah. Police officers that were standing there and they were like, putting the shields up so that anything that was getting thrown yep. potentially wouldn't land on Brian. That's very common. We were told ahead of time you couldn't bring any coins yeah. into the stadium. Projectiles, yeah. Anything that was small, metallic, that could be thrown. Yeah. To be honest, when we got to security, security were, for the most part, pretty nice to us. Yeah. Um, let me bring my mask in. Let me bring all the stuff that I had on me, and I had no issues. I had a bunch of change in my pocket. They didn't say anything. Yeah. So I, I definitely think they're more strict with Liga MX. And that's typical, too. Even, like, if you watch national team games where Mexico, they play in Mexico, like, there's always cops with, with like, shields. Mm-hmm. Because if they can't bring things in, like, that are projectiles, they'll serve drinks sometimes in uh, cups or uh, bags, and mm-hmm. then they'll pee in those and throw those. So, like, there's all kinds of nefarious dark art tactics that the fans do. Well, yeah, they talked about the, the yeah. thrown pee bags in that interview that yeah. um, Max did with uh, Hercules, Hercules Gomez and um, Rodolfo. I forget the name of the. Pito Celaya? No. <laughs> he was one of the commentators for um, ESPN Deportes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, um, the, the thing that it did in the Founders. Yeah. Not the Founders, the Directors yes. Club. Yeah. But yeah, Anyways. no, it's it's this is all common. I think. You, you as supporters built this like rapport leading up to the game where they were like nicely aggressive. Like they were, you know, and you could talk about some of the, the tactics that I saw on, on Twitter from Sujin, but it sounded like they studied us. They, they were very smart about in terms of supporters. Um, 
uh, but they didn't do some of the tactics they would if, like, if Cruz Azul or America or Chivas were in town where they'd be much more aggressive and more physical at times. Like, they wouldn't have treated us as nicely if that's who we were. They did their homework. Yeah. They knew who was coming. They knew what our culture was. They knew what we were trying to do. They knew we weren't going to try and do any of that kind of stuff, right. dark art stuff. They knew that our plan was to show up and attempt to outcheer them. So they did everything in their power to disable us from being able to chant. Didn't allow us to bring in any drums. Had a security force there that would stop anyone from pounding on a seat the way you would normally keep time if <clears throat> you didn't have a drum there with you. Uh, they positioned people around us who would chant in certain ways to throw off the timing of our own chants. They knew our chants. They knew their pace and rhythm. And they planned their active support around throwing ours off and had people attempting to throw the timing off. And for the first 45 minutes, it was incredibly effective. They were able to mitigate a lot of the 32-52 presence by throwing our timing off throughout the course of the first half of the game. It wasn't until, well, at first... So normally you can't leave the area and go get food or drinks or anything like that. You basically have an entrance that has a bathroom next to it. You go up some stairs and boom, you're in your area. So it's a very, very small sort of part of the stadium that you get exposed to. And they bring everything to you. So they're going around and they have these giant wood boxes that are filled with, you know, cigarettes and all different kinds of snacks and things like that and sweets. And they're walking those around and letting you buy any kind of, you know, bag of chips or something like that. But they wouldn't bring us any drinks. About 40 minutes into the game, after repeated, repeated requests, they finally showed up with water. And so they would pour it from a water bottle into a cup so that you had a cup so you couldn't throw the water bottle. And so we finally, after everyone downed all these cups, were able to put enough cups together uh, and our first lady, Cassie, uh, and Chicoline were able to gather enough of those empty cups together and figure out during halftime how to get all the drummers from the 3252 in the middle so that they could drum on the seats with the cups and figure out a way to get some kind of timing going for the second half. And then I think once the second half came around, you could see that active support increased um, because we were able to get some timing together and we were able to drown out their attempts to throw our timing off which was was definitely effective for them and you know live and learn um we took one on the chin in the first 45 minutes as supporters uh but i think we we gave it back to them in the second half and in re-watching the game i could hear us loud and clear in the second half yeah yes coming I, through yeah absolutely I, in the first i mean because you expect at this point when you watch it on tv to hear the 3252, right? It's going to come through the broadcast at some point, right. right? And I'm watching TV and I'm like, wow, they really, I can't really hear any of the 3252. And then if I heard something that I thought sounded like a 3252 chant, it was very I was brief. like, yeah. I, but it's probably what you're talking about where it was one of Leon's chants that sounded eerily similar to your guys' chants that, you know, or it was just, it, but I was like, oh, no, that's, that's not 3252. And it wasn't until the second half that We're I was gonna able. We're going to learn. We're going to yeah. grow. We'll be better next time. No, but I, I'm. I mean, it's it, it's still though. It's one of those things where. Well, it, I think the experience was also a little different because it's not just the thirty-two fifty-two. Every away traveling LAFC fan was in that section. 
So people who had never been a part of active supporter experience at all were there as well, too. So you have supporters and fans that are not supporters there as well, too. So, you know, in that regard, and I don't I don't mean to draw a line between mm -hmm. LAFC fans. That's not the point. But there are people who want to actively participate in cheering and chanting. And there were people who didn't want to actively participate in cheering and chanting that just wanted to the stand game. there and watch yeah. a game. And then we were all sort of sandwiched into the same section. So that in and of itself creates a little bit of, of an odd vibe to it as well, too, because normally the 3252 is filled with 100% people who are 100% dedicated to 90-plus minutes of chanting. And that was a little different when sprinkled in throughout that, you know, 1,000 people we had there, maybe 800 or so in that cage, were about 150, 200 people that didn't know the chants, didn't know the lyrics to any of them, uh, and didn't really want to actively participate, especially when the timing of it was being thrown off mm. a little bit. Yeah. But second half, I think everyone came around. We were able to get our timing situated to the point where we were able to put some better support together. And I think just like the product on the pitch, the product in the stands got better in the second half as well too. So for you who really got to see the game firsthand, experience it from a television standpoint, I'm really curious, boys, to hear your thoughts on how we played on the pitch. Uh, all right. I mean, I'll go. It's definitely not going to be as detailed as Christian's for the X's and O's factor. But just from what it looked, just, you know, f from a fan, the fan's perspective. I So my wife, by the way, not a big soccer fan. Mm-hmm. But she was like, I want to watch this because I think she – I had ex told her the whole thing about Carlos and how this is going to be his first time playing in Mexico for a club team. And I showed her the the, the conversation that, that Max had in the uh, director's lounge. And, and so she, she – there was like a storyline to it. And so she was interested. She was interested to just see it. So she, she watched the game. And so it was interesting to hear – her perspective and you know commenting on players and how they performed or whatever and and it so I, there was that aspect to it right where I'm watching a game and I'm explaining a little bit to her but for the most part she was just like it was the eye test he looked he looks like he knows what he's doing he doesn't look like he looks like he's out of place and she was right for she the was. most part mm -hmm. so it it goes to show me that it wasn't just it, LAFC played to a level that was blatantly clear that we just didn't play very well because my wife who doesn't really know or watch soccer was able to be like oh you know that oh that you know like Djokovic played a good game it's like oh who's that guy how come I've never seen him before it's like oh well he's only playing because he got rid of Walker and she's like well why has he been on the bench why hasn't he ever been playing if that's how he plays and it's like oh well he's that I don't know that's just that's he's just not been one of our starting center backs Right. So speaking of starters, why don't we start with the starting 11? Sure. And tell me your guys' thoughts on that. Right. So, of course, we had the um, – I uh, can't even think of the words right Let's now. But again. we had uh, Vermeer making his uh, first club appearance for us. Dude, can we can we talk about how fire his kit looked? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. People are affectionately referring to it as the Mamba kit, the bright purple. And, like, oh, green? It's more fire. I mean, it's like Barney-ish, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the back Both have their own fanfare. Uh, the the I I don't know. It I was like it. a super bright purple. I, I, I like I'm it. interested to see what the other colors will look like. Well, you know what I like? Usually when it's bright and distracting, it means that the striker will shoot at that. So 
It's not a bad thing. I saw somebody photoshopped the Sparkly Prince guitar with his logo over the front of it. Look at the lyrics. <laughs> I forget who that was, but points. Uh, and then the back line, we had uh, Blackman, Segura, Djokovic, and uh, Cheeky. And then we had Janela, uh, Kay, and Blessing. And then, of course, Rossi, Rodriguez, and Vela. So, so what I'm, did you guys think of that decision with regards to, I think we knew who the front three were going to be, but the decision with regard to right back, center back, midfield? I thought that Tr- Tristan Blackman should have been our center back, but then given how you know Djokovic played, I guess that that was also, I, I expected Blackman to be our center back. And that we would have had maybe Harvey and and then Chicky or El Munir or those would have been our, our uh, left and right backs. But I, I mean, with Atuesta not available to play because right. of the amount of minutes that he had played previous to this game, let's just say hypothetically, if Atuesta was available, do you think that would have changed the right back center back situation? I'm not sure because I think we would have had Latif. As a super sub, mm-hmm. and I'd rather have that. Um, I think I think we went slightly defensive because I think Tristan's probably a better defender, although he didn't have the best night, the in comparison to Latif. But he can also get up. Uh, well, are we gonna get into the game? Because yeah, I, yeah, no, yeah, I, mean, I have my thoughts, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I was talking about, you know, Sandy being able to watch the game. I mean, I thought yeah. I thought for the most part, LAFC played below their level of play, but you also have to take things into consideration, how, how long we've been playing, new players on the team, injuries, players that couldn't play because of fatigue. Um, but I think that all being said, I think that there, and I read Vince's, uh, Vince wrote about the game and there my was takeaways? just yeah. yeah his takeaways and there was a lot of things that I felt were true in the sense that there were some good intentional passes but the timing was off or the yeah. ball or they kicked the ball too hard and the speed of the ball was That's you know it's funny like I feel like I was having the same thoughts as Vince the entire night I was so frustrated just because the thoughts are there the ideas are there even with the with Janela playing like he understands a lot of the passing, the angles, but the weight was always off. And if the pass, the the weight of his was right, like the touch was off. Right. Um, so it was either bouncing too far, or the ball was too short or too long, um, or it, this. It was well, just, and also it seemed like guys weren't getting help as often as I felt like they had in before. Like there, I I felt like last year there were outlets. If a guy was getting covered by two defenders it was not hard for them to find that outlet to pass the ball and for us to keep and maintain possession. I felt like in the game against Leon, there were a lot of opportunities um, where the ball got taken away from us because they, they crushed us and we hadn't we just gave the ball up. There yeah. was a lot of turnovers, mm-hmm. more so than I felt like we, I would have normally seen. Yeah, and those turnovers directly resulted in both goals. <clears throat> yeah, they did. Although, I mean, I feel bad for Blackman because I felt like once he slipped and, um, you know, Leon smartly, wait, kind of patiently, although quickly, waited for Djokovic to make the decision whether to step up or not and then kind of saw Vermeer cheating a little bit to the to the second post. 
he very quickly put it on the first post uh, and used Djokovic as a shield so he couldn't see that shot. That second goal with Angel Mena, if, if Djokovic hadn't come back, would he have been offside? He would have, but, you know, that's his job. He's going to come back and defend. It's not like he's going to be standing waiting for Some no one to yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, and it, even at that point, like, he, it was barely onside. It was questionable. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, back to that first goal, I think if if Blackman doesn't slip, like, after that, I feel like he just seemed down a little bit. Like, his confidence went down. Like, he wasn't playing as confidently. I think he only stepped up to a couple balls when usually he's anticipating these these passes and cutting him off and initiating offense. He stayed back a little bit more, um, which he kind of needed to defensively, but he also didn't risk as much, which is one of the things that I think he's good at and integrating himself into helping the midfield in the offense um, with enough pace to get back. I think another thing that I've that I've noticed, and you know, not a lot, a lot of people talked about it, it is preseason. We're probably like 70, 85, 70 to 80 minutes fit, but we're also the altitude. It would have been nice if LAFC arrived maybe a day prior or two days prior. You know? It's funny and, you should mention that. So on the flight back from Leon to Tijuana, Joseph Sacker and his family sat right behind me in the row, right behind me. So I had a minute to sort of talk to him as we were landing about the game. And I sort of mentioned the altitude question of why did we only arrive 5 p.m.? The players flew in the night before the game. Why yeah. not get there early? And he had the same reservations. And his thought was, I don't care about when they went down there. Why didn't they do high-altitude training here, here in yeah. California? Huh. Like the like U.S. Big men's Bear. national team again yeah. up in Big Bear. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a thought that hadn't even occurred to me until then as well, too. And I was like, gosh, you're right. That would have been yeah. uh, a brilliant thing as well, too. I, but, I mean, the biggest mistake made in the last 10 minutes of the game was by a sub sure. who came in fresh anyway. So. Yeah, and my other thoughts, too, were just, like, you know, Janela and Kay and Blessing never really played together. That was their first time. You know, Kay was, for the most part, injured, I feel like, most of the preseason. Uh, so he looked, unfortunately, way off. You know, I think he his timing was off. His I think his tackling was – his timing in tackling was not great. Uh, some of his passes – were not good. Same with Blessing. His energy was a little bit better. Out of the three, I think Ginella was probably the best of the three, which is, you know, he's brand new. And I think he created more offensive chances. He almost scored himself. You know, he was a foot wide. Raito was a foot wide. Um, and, you know, we could have maybe nicked one. It would have been great. But I think we were lucky that they didn't score more. And I was feeling like hopefully we were just going to be one goal down and El Munir. Yeah, that one. The, leave with one goal. That would have definitely been much more hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, way more. I mean, there's still. I'm still like I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, there's no way. Like oh, that's LAFC doable. Can, LAFC can put in three in the back of the net, especially at home with our yeah, crowd and our doable. stadium. And that's 100. percent It's a yeah. possibility. They gave us so many openings too. There was two times that we had opportunities of practically open nets that the ball just didn't curve our way. Right, so it's like we are gonna have the opportunities to score, but it's just more of an uphill battle than I would have liked. We had a huge chance to put two away. Not getting that one road goal is gonna it's make a big deal. Yeah, that's gonna make the chance of winning at the bank that much harder. If immediately after they scored, I think it was like two minutes later. No, it was right that, away. It was like yeah. it was right away. That was the Rodriguez one. Yeah. Was when Rodriguez 
frankly should have put that one away. He should have put it on goal, frame at least. Yeah. Yeah. The other one later in the game, I think it was Perez, who had the shot later in the game that just rolled wide of the post as well. No, it was Janela. Was Janela? It was Janela, yeah. Um, was it a, was a play between Perez and Janela? I think that Bill Yeah, that was the one no, where Rossi. Perez... That was, Rossi? No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I... No, there was one too with Perez, where Perez was right in front, and he he like made a couple moves to get away, and then he took a shot. But I think that was on, that was on, and that was at the goalkeeper. Right at the keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and then that's one of my bright spots. I think Perez. I think we need to figure out one true number nine, whoever it is, and two wingers, and stick with that. And the next person, whoever the winger that's going to come on, is going to come on the fifty fifth, sixtieth, sixty fifth minute, because um, at least right now in the preseason, especially in the next game. I think it's better if we have a dynamic dynamic sub that comes in or two in the last half hour when, in theory, the, the other team is tired, that one's tired, because I think when Perez came, he gave us some stability in terms of holding up the ball, um, especially the way they were pressuring us. You know, He's gotten stronger. Like That's one of the things I noticed. I think his pressuring was more effective than our wingers were. Um, and he was linking up much better. I think we had some half chances with him in there versus having just those two chances that we should have put away, and we didn't um, the entire game. I'm not going to discount all the things that Leon did. They were really good. You know, they, they played their game to their tactics, and they could have put more away. Yeah. Did you guys uh, see that on our bench we had uh, Philip Ejimadu and Cisniega? Yeah. Well, yeah, going back to it, Jonathan was saying it. So I think Harvey, his wife, was about to be in labor. So mm-hmm. he didn't want to travel. Atuesa, his minutes. Um, so those are two options down. We have, I think, some other injuries, too. I think that was just to complete the squad. Yeah, it, we had to. Like, I think to they f- had to put two keepers on the bench because yeah. they didn't have enough players. Yeah. Not that I, I think any of the substitutions Bob wanted to use were there of what was available. But yeah, with Harvey and Atuesta out, yep. I think that was just, we had two keepers on the bench just to have a complete squad. Right. So, I mean, no one really looked good. The best players were our center defenders. And I I, I agree with with Vince and some of the things that he was saying. Like, really, if Zimmerman was here, would the team have performed as well? We left the center backs exposed a few times and they made some, you know, heroic kind of stops. And the goals that did happen came from the right and left back, right? One was a slip, a mistake, and the other one was a super bad touch, didn't couldn't kick it out, and it's unfortunate too because right before that play, I was mentally commenting like, I can't believe Vela is basically almost near the defense collecting the ball because we can't link up with him. He comes, he kind of shakes off two people, relieves pressure and gives it to Munir, where I think at his skill level has enough time to stop and look up and get the next pass off, but it was a bad touch, and Leon was not forgiving in their pressuring, and, you know, they got there. And even at that point, the play that was made to hold up the ball, hold up the ball, wait for the run, and wait for a defender to get back and allow the person to be off onside, it was it was really smart, you know. They, they know how to play the Sir Stadium, and they took advantage of the mistakes that we made, so it is what it is. Yeah, that mistake by El Munir that late in the game was really – Really a gut punch to our chances of coming back next Thursday uh, and securing a, a position at advancement. Um, With that said, though, I still think we could do it. Yeah, we got we to gotta win by three or shut them out and put two goals in, right? So 
Um, that's a that's well, a tall... no. Even if we shut them out and put two goals in, we, we have to win then by go three. to PKs. We have to, well, yeah, no then. extra uh, extra time and then PKs, right? I don't believe there's extra time in CCL. I believe it goes straight to PKs. I think you're right. Really? Yeah, I think it goes straight to PKs if it's two two aggregate with no road goal at the end of the next ninety. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, which yeah, that's PKs. I you know that coin flip there. I would love to see us win three nil at the bank. We're completely capable of doing it. I think we, even as poorly as we played, and I think it's safe to say that we played poorly. Yes. The only two goals that went in were a direct result of flagrant mistakes. There were lots of little mistakes made throughout the match, but it was just those two flagrant mistakes that caused goals. Now, they had a flurry of other chances as well, too. They, which they could have put away. Yeah, they could have put those away. So those were not mistakes. They, they put some plays together. Like... X factor for the next match is a twist is back. That's going to be huge. I think he's back, and I think, I think at this point, I don't know if he's going to play two more defensive-minded players, but he might do Janela, a Twesta, and and blessing. So who knows? As well as Perez played, I think there's an argument for a four-two-three-one. You know, I I tend to wave that flag repeatedly. Yeah. But I think it is a very effective way of going after Leon. So you would want to have all three wingers with him at top? Is that what you're thinking? With a double yeah, yeah, I would have him in front of our, our traditional front three still Got out it. there, uh, but then have Perez play in front of him. In this case, K would mm-hmm. come out as the subtraction. Uh, you would have Blessing and Janela in the double pivot behind the same black back four that we have right now. Blessing and Janela or Blessing at Twesta? A Twesta, excuse me, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Or maybe even uh, a, a Twesta, Janela, and have Blessing as the super sub to come in. Um, you're right. Excuse me. Atuesta, yeah. Janela um, as the double pivots. I, you know what? I briefly thought he might do that for this match. I really did. But Bob is Bob, and we've seen that he's going to play that way, the 4-3-3 in our style, regardless of the competition tournament. So I just hope that we can pull it out, one. And two, is like I just hope in the future when LAFC is in this competition and if Bob's still the manager that the calendar's moved. Like a month later, two weeks later, because I I just it's it's it just, makes a difference. It makes a huge difference because this is what why I I would bring this up in some of the other episodes. I'm like I already know that this takes time. Like we didn't do well until the second season because it took almost a whole year to put this philosophy together and this type of timing. And now we have new players coming in, some people departing. So all of that hasn't gelled yet. And then we're gonna have this important competition coming up where. And- we're not going to have a chance to show what we can do. And if you look across all the competitions from yesterday and the day before, because you know I don't know what the scores are today, it looks like a lot of the MLS sides are flat. You know. Yeah, NYC but they all got away goals. Yeah. NYCFC had put in like five goals when we started recording. Oh, I didn't see the score. Uh, from... They were up five three when we started recording. Yeah. Now this will all be old news by the time this comes out. But, sure. Um, but I'm just saying, like you know, at Atlanta. They got a draw in one one. I understand, but what I'm saying, though, is that, yes, teams got away goals, but I think that given who they were playing, I think that there was a lot of people expecting the MLS clubs to be the favorites in all their games except for ours. So do you think next year it would benefit us to actually play in the quote-unquote group stages and not just come in in the knockout rounds? Do you think that would benefit, you know, MLS, Liga, Mekki sides to be involved in group play? Or does the whole CCL just need to get moved back? Or does the entire MLS need to get moved forward? 
Like moving MLS forward is probably the hardest because you're going to be playing in weather games then in, in a lot of these stadiums in parts of the United States. I think moving it back is the most ideal thing. Groups, it's the same issue because we're off-season, basically. Yeah, so, But it would be a solution to there not yeah. being an off-season. Then we would have, you know, our season, quote-unquote, would be over, but we would still have LAFC matches and CCL qualifiers. Yeah, but there's a CBA. Like, that's that's the, the whole issue. Like, our the, our league is one of the only leagues that has that kind of element in, into it. Like, labor has a voice in, into, you know, how this all happens. Going back to your points, though, in terms of, being the favorites, I think in the in the series, yeah, or the aggregate score were the favorites, but it's always tough, even for Mexican teams like Cruz Azul against Portmore United. They were down one. They were thing. done. Like and yeah, and it's, then they and came the, back and towards scored two. Yeah, and and in extra time, right? Alianza beat Tigres at home from San Salvador. Yeah, you know, two one. They were losing one zero. So it's just tough. Like it's tough atmospheres. One, it's usually different types of weather, altitude. Grass length, like that's one of the things that I think affected LAFC too. Yeah, it was. You know, there's than... the, all these elements, right? So it's it's just hard. Whoever is in form is going to do better, also, and then I think the home team does have an advantage in this tournament. So, well, it's just hard. It's uh, you had made mention, Jonathan, about how um, moving the MLS season back is going to create issues with weather. I mean, doesn't England play? Yeah, they have undersoil. It, I don't know if the teams would make that investment here because well, it's not I, it's not a cheap thing. I think mm-hmm. that's the point is that the quality of the pitches we're playing on are not prepared to handle the weather, whereas the quality of pitches elsewhere in the world, the investment in that material. Yeah. So I mean, you would have to you would have to get MLS owners to spend some money on better pitches, and and let's be honest, that is sadly not something we're seeing. We're blessed at the bank. We're blessed with LEFC's ownership and their commitment to putting a world-class service. We're also blessed service. with our weather. We're also <laughs> blessed with our weather as well, too. But, you know, you can also plan the scheduling to be a little bit, you know, especially with Miami entering the league now. Um, you know, there's more chances to play in places where I think there's something that can be done to help us out. Because as it is right now, MLS is really dealt a rough hand with the entire CCL it is just, just the well, way yeah, the timing I, of it I all works. I think that if, if at some point if the MLS wants to be giving their their teams the the best opportunity to actually win this, they I mean because let's the first team the the first MLS team that actually wins the CCL in this, in this format because in this format around, yeah. it, I mean it's going to be huge right it's going to be a huge huge moment for the MLS, and so I think that you know. That that is something that should be considered, you know. That how like what can we do to give our guys a better opportunity? And I mean, it's just it's hard. There's a lot of things that play a factor in all these. This game in Leon, if it took place two months from now, would be a very different game. Right, would have been a very different game. It would be. And what I mean, and so like, what would what would be? What's a deterrent though for pushing everything back two months? So that means that all the games would end in August. No, right now they end in August, so that means they'd end in October. Not necessarily. I think. I mean, the next match isn't until like March, isn't it? Like the next round. So like, if you, or not March, it might be April or what have you. Like you could push this a month, and it still doesn't disrupt the rest of the legs. So that's why I understand. But you know, we're the MLS or North America is only one constituent in this Concacaf, right? So they're not. 
even the biggest dog in the negotiating table if this is something that's negotiable. They are yeah. the biggest dog. They have the most teams. Oh, it doesn't matter, teams. but this, the most of the money is in Liga MX. You know what I mean? That's the influence. Yeah. So, And I'm not sure if they're even not trying to allow this to happen, but I'm just saying if, if it's not to their benefit, are they really going to push this agenda? Why would they? You make, you make a solid point there. I do think there was one other positive I wanted to touch on before we close out today, and that sure. was Bryce Duke. Oh, I thought he came in and did exceptionally well he when did. he got subbed in. I was very, very impressed by and I was curious to hear your boys' thoughts on that. I agree. Bryce Duke jersey. That's that's gonna be my uh yeah, that's a new one? That's gonna be my twenty twenty is the Bryce Duke. I'm gonna get uh uh the last year's jersey with the uh, target the target red logo, I'm gonna get a Brian Rodriguez. But no, Bryce Duke. Bryce Duke in the black and gold. In the same hairstyle? What? As Bryce? No, dude, I got I got no <laughs> hair on my head right now. No, I thought you know what, Mark Anthony K. And I appreciate his like feistiness and his fiery nature. He was not happy coming off the pitch. He shouldn't um, have been. He shouldn't have been, but he 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 also was not playing well, so he needed to come off. And I agree with the decision. And Bryce was a bright spot. I think he was more positive. Uh, he had more energy. I think he had better touch. His passes. To start, like right off, you could tell he was nervous in, you know, playing your first professional match in Lyon. I can only imagine how nerve-wracking that could be. Uh, so his first few touches and passes were off, and I was a little bit, a little bit like worried. Like I don't know how he's gonna perform, but I think once he got a couple passes off, it just opened up to him. Like he had a couple sombreros over people. Like uh, he brought it down, chested it down. Even though the it didn't, it didn't. It, it wasn't a good pass. It looked like a good pass at a glance in the first take on, on TV, at least. And someone deflected it. But it looked like he just took two sombreros and, like, chipped it to someone. I'm like, what just happened right now? Who, who is this kid? But I, I just want his confidence to well, to, to go up. To, I want him to do well. And it just made the competition for our midfield even deeper. So I just know every weekend, once we're in season, the starting three midfielders are going to be the ones that are performing the best because there's at least six fighting for those spots. For only three, so. And we still haven't seen uh, Sifu either. Not yeah, not in a not in like game that matters. Yeah. yeah, and so it's you know once I mean yeah it at mm-hmm. at one point it is we are going to be super heavy in the midfield right to where it we could have at any point any of those guys could be our starting midfielders right. Well, who knows if that's even what we start the season with? There's still perhaps some roster tweaks to be made between now. We've seen that this club can come. In out of left field and sell players that we never thought were going. Uh, with Zimmerman out, right. we have to believe that there's some kind of uh, defensive addition that's going to take place to the squad between now and. I saw I something so. that said that uh, I, the the Mexican uh, haiku from uh, the Las Vegas Lights, who but he was a Mexican national team player. Hiqui? Iku? I don't know his name. I saw it on Reddit, but uh, there that the. We're trying to get a center back. Yeah, I mean, either center back or right back. We need we need some sort of reinforcement because um, we're gonna be a little thin. So, Joel Iki. He's with Las Vegas Lights right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played for uh, about twenty years in the Mexican league. Uh, if he does come on, uh, I think I would be happy because then finally there would be a player on LAFC that's older than me because as of right now, I'm older than the entire team. He's 36. 
Yeah, thank you. He's older than me um, <laughs> by about six months. So uh, if he comes on, he's also got, if you haven't seen them, some of the funniest memes um, to come out of Liga MX are around him as well, too. I, I don't know if that was a serious tweet or not, um, but there was some, I think it was MLS Buzz that came out with it. Now, they were also the same people who claimed that we had sold a Tuesta simply because he wasn't in the starting lineup for this game as well, too. So if it's not I don't know how reliable a source this is. Yeah, if it's not Tenorio or Stajko, I'm not believing it because those are the ones that have been on point every time. So, um, But he used to play for Cruz Azul. He played yeah. for Pachuca, Morelia, um, you know, from about 2002 to 2017 in Liga Mekis before he came to Las Vegas Lights, where he's at now. Um, was a captain for uh, the Mexican national team and I think 2012 CONCACAFs has been on some of their Olympic teams before as well too. Famous Mexican defender. Yeah, he is. If he shows up, great. Um, I, I don't know at if that's what's going to happen. There was so, a number thrown around like $4 million with $2 million in, in bonus incentives, yeah. like $6 million for – a 36-year-old center back, I don't I don't know if that's the best usage of money. Maybe it's in money. pesos, who knows? Yeah, um, <laughs> that just doesn't seem like an LAFC move, but I think someone is coming in. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think at this point, the only player that's, like, untouchable on our roster is Carlos. 100%. I, yeah. think, that, I think that he's probably the only player that is, like, untouchable. I agree. Now, if a team came in with $100 million for Vela... You're selling Vela for right. hundred million, so you know. I, I, but I mean, even I think that even because even if a team were to come in and, and drop some crazy amount of number to want to get him, right? I think that the because of the relationship that Carlos has with the club, that it would be one of those things where it's like, look, Carlos, if you don't want us to sell you, bro, we won't. Because it, it you know, he came here to you know be happy type of thing, yeah. and it's like. I think that he, everyone knows, he doesn't want to play anywhere else. There is a number that could see him go, but it would. I don't think it's happening. I have ninety nine point nine nine percent chance that it's never going to happen. But, you know, I mean, if if a club decides to just spend money poorly and throw, I mean, if someone came in with fifty million for him, I mean, you'd probably sell him for fifty million, right? I mean, that's that's an insane amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> we would all hate to see him go, but I mean, if, if, if we saw look, 50. Let's be realistic. Carlos isn't going anywhere. He's not. <laughs> He's not going anywhere. I agree with you, but you sound so sad when you say that. Well, I, dude, that, uh, yeah. Carlos is too important. He's too important. Before yeah. we wrap it up, did you guys have anything? Oh, we know, I guess we never really talked about after the game if we we're going to sort of. Should we tell them about your newspaper adventures? My newspaper <laughs> adventures, gathering newspapers. Um, so as, uh, you know, the game ended, there was applause back and forth between LAFC fans uh, and the fans there in the stadium, which was nice to see. And then as we were exiting the stadium, uh, our initial pregame plan was to try and get out and back to a safe location sort of as quick as possible and avoid any sort of issues that might arise after the match. And I think all of the LAFC fans were astonished that as we exited the stadium, there was a massive amount of Leon fans that were standing on either side of, so the same sort of riot police tunnel um, that's created so that we could get out of the stadium. Um, but on either side were massive amounts of Leon fans that were applauding us, wanting to do uh, shirt and scarf exchanges. Um, I ended up 
giving my guy Fox mask to a young Leon fan who was there in a wheelchair uh, and coming home with a scarf as well too. It just, it, um, it was very surprising to see how positive the reaction from their fan base was. Um, and in talking to a number of Leon fans around the community after the game, I and mean, we were eating tacos with Leon fans and having beers after the game. And, you know, we were going over tactics and it was, you know, one of those things where they were very appreciative. They were absolutely impressed and stunned by the numbers that showed up, the quality of active support we had, especially near the end of the game. Um, in speaking with their fans, almost every single one of them brought up blessing and every single one of them, because yeah. we would ask them, who was your favorite player? Who do you think played the best? And of course they wanted to talk about Vela and how they didn't think Vela played particularly well. When you ask them, you know, what positives did you see? I probably spoke to 12, 13 Leon fans and every single one of them mentioned blessing is the best player that they saw in the night, which I thought I mean, was very yes. interesting. Um, the fact that they all sort of unanimously in different places, different you know, would all agree that Blessing was, was very impressive. Um, I think when you watch in person, he stands out because his, his effort, energy. Yeah. his energy, like, and I, you couldn't see that as well on TV um, because some of his passes and his attempts offensively were not there, but his effort to recover the ball to get the, the pass to the pass, were, that's always there. So I agree that that's a possibility. The most, I guess, positive that was visible on tv for me was maybe janela and the center backs and in vermeer had this save that he gave no no rebound which was incredible to me there were a couple comments about vermeer that he played well there were a couple comments that on both goals he sort of cheated and went early and he that, did that that gave them the opportunity to put the ball in i spoke to leon fans that were in their supporter section that talked about sort of bragged about, in their case, some of the dark arts that they employed to to dismantle us in the first half and how they then were sort of impressed with how we rallied and responded in the second half. I spoke to fans from outside of their supporters section who were speaking about how it was clear and obvious to them that their own supporters had stepped up, that the level of active support they saw from their own Leon fans, that they treated it like a championship game, that their own fan base came out with a stronger presence with, you know, we saw the TIFO at the beginning of the game. They did the whole confetti showers and the smoke and all that. And that they were surprised to see how seriously their own fans took the game yeah. as well, too. And that came from the ownership, though. He said, we want to be in the FIFA World Cup. We want Leon to be a global team. So the ambitions are mutual, right? That's what LAFC wants. So they rested their players the previous match in order to be prepared for this game. So the fact that that was a message from the owner... The uh, not, not Ignacio, but Nacho Ambris, the the coach, and then the rest of the city, I think, just followed. And then, you know, if they were watching our Instagrams from the supporters, they were like, hey, these guys are going to come and they're going to show what they could do. We need to step up as a city. So I can see that, you know. And then the coverage the following day of the match, every single bar you went to, every taqueria we went by, every single place we went, you could see the match on. You could see people talking about the match. You know, the the infamous newspapers that have come out that everyone's been scrambling to get their hands on that have been so appreciative of not only the magnitude in which the game played out in, but the support and the community works of LAFC while we were there. You know, there was national Mexican TV coverage of our march to the match, of our works within the community at the orphanage uh, at Casa Hogar San Antonio. 
it it really was a very big deal to the community what went down. It was it was impressive to see. Yes, and I do have to say thank you very much for getting the uh, newspapers, bro. It was uh, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, an interesting get, dude. You know, I I collect the newspapers for the Times and stuff here uh, from the LA Times, like all the LA, anytime LAFC's in any of the articles, right? Uh, so when I saw that they came out, uh, I was like, dude, I gotta get them. So it was good. Another story for another day, but. Uh, I had to break out the Spanish, man. My kindergarten equivalent Spanish to get these newspapers from the people that worked at the uh, at the newspaper uh, company. So it was good. Good times. But thanks again for uh, telling us everything about the weekend, man. Or, well, the week. Yeah. So, but it was good, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Thursday. It'll be my first time back at the bank in 2020. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll get it. I got to get that Feel scarf, confident. dude. I got to get that St. Paddy's Day scarf. Dude, that St. Paddy's Day scarf is lit, dude. That thing is good. I got to get it. I well, got to get it. I certainly want to, before we close out, just extend a special thanks to uh, Tomas Trujillo and his family who put us up while we were down there. Absolutely unfathomable the length at which they went through uh, in order to take care of uh, some random gringo that showed up. Um, you know, I... I came in as a random person and I left his family. I now have, um, you know, uh, a tia and a tío there in, in Leon <laughs> uh, that can't wait for me to come back. Um, just blown away by the hospitality shown to me by uh, everyone in the Trujillo family down there. So I, I couldn't, couldn't not give them a shout out because who knew I have I have family in Leon now. So yeah. that was that was impressive to see. Um, I, this, I guess this is just normal in Mexican culture, but it's something that's sort of bizarre to me. But apparently whenever you go visit somebody, the hospitality that they show is unparalleled. Yep. Well, shout out to 3252, the supporters and fans that went down there. And can't wait to be with them this upcoming Thursday. So be there. It's not over yet. We ain't heard no fat lady sing. Yeah. We're going to get our chance to put up three goals or put up two goals and keep a clean sheet and go to some PKs. We need everybody out there in force, singing, wearing your gear, rep it with pride. There are a lot of Leon fans that are going to be coming up here. We spoke to many really? of them. They were very hospitable to us while we were down there. We would appreciate the same treatment from everyone here within the LAFC community. Now, we're not letting them bring in any drums, that's for sure. <laughs> but I wonder, So they're going to be on the 200 section up to the... I, I would assume that the active support would be contained there, but I would imagine that their fans have probably secured tickets in many places throughout the bank, Yeah, um, the way those tickets were sold. So be welcoming, be nice to them. They were incredibly hospitable to us. They show up at Christmas Tree Lane and they want to party with us. Let's be as respectful to them as they were to us. Absolutely. So with that, Take us home, stick. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.